And so that's the whole point about periodization is we're going to go through periods of training and every month we're going to, we're going to like, your body's going to get just comfortable with threshold and then wham, like we're switching it up doing VO2 and then wham, you're going to switch it up. And it's like, right when you get comfortable with a zone or with a area of fitness, you change it up. Welcome to episode 50 of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking about when training doesn't go as planned and big picture preparation. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. If you want to make your training and race day nutrition simple and reliable, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with the email title of the Matchbox Podcast or head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast question form. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so this first question this week comes from listener JC, and it's when workouts don't go as planned. So he says, question for the cast. If you can't hit the power output for your prescribed intervals on your training plan, is it better to, and then he's got multiple choice here. Okay, so listen up. (laughs) A, finish the intervals at whatever power you can manage. B, lengthen the recovery between intervals. C, quit the intervals and just drop down to zone two and finish out the length of the session there. D, stop what you were doing and make yourself a recovery smoothie and take the rest of the day off. Thanks. Big fan of both podcasts. Hope to become a Patreon soon. If my kids will leave me alone long enough to set that up. Keep up the great work, JC. <laughs> nice. That's a really first, good question. I got my first Patreon supporter yesterday. Nice. Congrats, it was man. This guy, it was this guy that started right in front of me at Athens, and he had a GoPro pointing back at me, and my GoPro was pointing forward at him. And he sent me a message. It was like, whoa, that was some Inception kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> and then he went and supported me on Patreon. I'm like, hey, man, That's you're awesome. the first what one. Guy. Congrats. Cool. Anyways. So uh, um, how often would you say this happens to you guys individually? And then how often do you see this happen with athletes where, you know, you've got to work out, let's just say it's, you know, four by eight threshold and you just can't seem to hit the power numbers? Well... That never happens for me. <laughs> I knew <laughs> that one was coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, the tricky thing about his question, I think, is that all of those answers he gave are like legitimate things. Those are every one of those are good things to do. It just depends on. It just depends. Like, yeah, I think it depends on a lot of things. Actually, um, depends on like what type of intervals the person is trying to do. Uh, it depends on like what the goal is for the current training. Like if, for example, like for the goal thing, it's like if it's the base season and your goal is just to like get a lot of time and tempo, then I would say kind of push through, maybe hit for lower numbers, maybe extend the recovery, but try to get through the workout if, if that's the thing. But VO2 intervals, like, man, if you're not hitting power at VO2, it's almost like you're not the goal of the workout isn't being acquired if you're not hitting VO2 power. Like if your power is dropping down into your threshold zone, the goal of that workout is not like now you're not hitting that goal of VO2. Um, so on that one, I would say if, if extending, like if, if extending the recovery doesn't help and you still can't hit the power, then I would say your legs just aren't there and you should probably shut it down. And, but then he's got the other thing of like, okay, once you decide the workout is nicked, 
do you just go home or do you ride endurance? And I think that also depends. <laughs> it's like choose your own. It's like so many depends. But um, I think it depends on like if you're going to try the workout. If, if there's enough time in the week to where you could try the workout again the next day, I would say shut it down and go home. But if that is literally the only day that week you could do intervals, then I would say do endurance. Um, and if you don't have the opportunity to go back and try to redo that workout then don't worry about it because this it's really really a bad thing when people are like oh man i need to make up that workout i missed two days ago because then you start stacking workouts on top of each other it's like at some point you just have to say that workout didn't happen i'm moving forward so be it you know but i think all all four of the things that he laid out there are all legitimate choices yeah i agree i think you hit pretty much every scenario there's one more that i thought about and if it's the workout before like the last workout before a race i would say that might be a situation in which you just kind of like abort mission at that point because you're not going to gain fitness the week before a race that's really to like mitigate fatigue and maintain freshness so at that point probably just call it um, yeah, and then I'll say what point. I always, I'll say what I always tell my athletes, don't make your call after the first interval, almost mm-hmm. always the first 100%. one feels pretty bad. And the second one always ends up for me, at least being the best one, the second or third, depending on how many there are in the length, whatever. Um, so just give yourself that chance, get through the first one, try the next one and then make your decision. Yeah. Yeah. And something I try and guide my athletes through, uh, you know, in regards to that too, is one, I kind of remind them that the first interval is almost always a wash. It's kind of like your first set of like in the gym. It's like, you're kind of just priming your muscles. It's like when you start to feel that fatigue is when those adaptations are really starting to set in. Um, so kind of that first interval, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of a wash anyway. So if you don't hit the numbers, that's fine. You know, get through that one and start number two. Um, but I also try to try to encourage my athletes to kind of stair step their way through the the power range. So like if we're doing threshold, like start at the low end of, of threshold zone for the first interval and see if each one you can increase it by, you know, a few Watts, a few more Watts until you're kind of getting closer to that upper end of the range. Um, you know, and then maybe for the last one, it's kind of like whatever you've got left in the tank. Um, but that way they don't go out and like, you know, push way too hard in the first interval. They maybe don't feel good, but they're like pushing really hard. And then like it kind of tanks the rest of the workout. So it's like, let's kind of ease your way through, through that zone. Um, and then I would, I would kind of second what, what Kaylin, what you were talking about as far as like proximity to a race, the closer you get to, to race day, the less you want to like overextend yourself. And usually if you're not hitting your power numbers, there's something that's causing that to happen. So if you're trying to push through that, you're going to end up overextending yourself beyond what your body is kind of capable of handling that day. And you just don't want to, you don't want to carry that extra fatigue into race day. So if you're, you know, within maybe even two weeks of like race day, like, if, if a workout's not coming super, you know, it doesn't have to be super easy. Like it's like the workout should still be hard, but if you can't execute them properly, then that's usually not the right time to, to push through it. Um, like Drew was talking about, you know, earlier in the season or further off from your races. And it depends on what kind of racing you're doing too. You know, like if you're training for big, long gravel races, maybe you're not doing your 3030s or VO2s in the month before, because you're kind of like reverse periodizing it somehow. So it kind of depends on where you're at in the season. Um, you know, one, one thing that I'll kind of remind my athletes too, is there, there might be times where it's appropriate to put the power meter numbers aside and also just go off of like RPE or, or heart rate. Um, 
you like sometimes the power data just isn't there. But if you can, if you feel good, like if you, if you feel fine and, and like you're still able to like maybe hit that state of VO2 max where you're breathing super heavy, but the power numbers are dropped like just a little bit, like we might still be able to get what we're looking for out of that workout by getting you into that state of VO2 max. Um, but if you're just as having much, one of those days, go ahead. As much as I hate that you do that, it was, it actually proved really helpful. Um, you gave me a VO2 workout based on RPE. So there were no target numbers. Um, and that, oh, that, that hurt. That made me cringe. Cause I just like to have a number to focus on, but the caveat here was I was at altitude, like 8,000 feet. So if I would have been targeting a specific number, there was no shot that I was going to hit that unless I had adjusted for altitude. So I was actually on a gravel climb that went consistently higher. So obviously, so, um, having just like holding consistent RPE of eight to nine, I knew I was getting the work done and wasn't discouraged by not holding a specific number. So that was actually on that workout. Did you have your power visible or did you even turn it off on your computer? It was on there, but I was, I wasn't looking at it. Which is awesome. Did you have your RPE on there as well on your computer? (laughs) <laughs> if by RPE you mean heart rate so I knew I was working hard but. <laughs> that'd be pretty cool yeah but I mean like exactly like for that workout Caitlin like what we were we were trying to do what I just said like we were trying to get you into a state of VO2 max where you're like breathing super heavy um, you know you're like waiting for that interval like you know you're taking down the, the seconds in the last 30 seconds like just waiting for that four minutes to to arrive and like that's what that was the goal of the workout it wasn't necessarily what your power output was for each of those four minute uh, efforts. It was getting you into that state of VO2 max. And and that's, you know, sometimes that's what it takes is just like forget the power numbers and just go off of feel as long as you're feeling good enough again, you know, so like it's one of those situations where if you're feeling good, but the power numbers just don't quite align and you're still able to execute the workout as intended, like that's okay. Like that's fine to keep going. But it's, it's those days when you're kind of feeling crummy, like you're just like, Oh, I just can't, can't hit the power numbers. And I feel terrible like that's when it's okay maybe we consider you could try I, I mean it almost seems like you might even go in the order that that jc is talking about here like you know yeah you kind of do that second <laughs> interval at whatever power it takes maybe then for the third interval you like lengthen the recovery period give yourself a little bit more rest that's you know may or may not do it for you you know like if you're having one of those days like it just might not might not do it for you and then i would say like if you get halfway through that next interval and you're just still not even close to hitting your numbers then that's maybe when you shut it down and just try riding zone two. And there, some of those days too, like you, you go out to try and ride zone two after that and like heart rate's super elevated or you just don't feel good. Like if it's one of those days where it's just like all around, you just don't even want to be on the bike, you know, unless it's like a, you know, like Drew was talking about like a key workout, like you need to get that time in. Otherwise you're not going to be able to fit any time in somewhere else in the week. Then, you know, it's might yeah, it might just be a good idea to just shut that down. Steven Seiler, I think is doing some pretty interesting research right now. I think, this is like a big topic that he said he's actually like in the midst of studying right now. And that's respiration rate of like mm. using that as a marker while we work out of like how quickly we're breathing. So it made me think like, oh, like <clears throat> when you guys were just talking about that workout, it made me think like, oh, it'd be cool to have that on your bike computer showing your respirations getting higher and higher. And then at what point is it? Even if the power is low, but if your respirations hit this number and are steady at this number, then that that would that would give you like the check mark for a VO2 workout. Even if the power is below your VO2 power, because um, sure. that's more 
you know, if we're talking about VO2, what you're, that's literally what we're doing is trying to like get you to breathe hard. So seems kind of interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what, you know, if Siler's going to drop a, you know, drop some mad science on us here soon on respiration rates, but yeah, yeah, no, that, that will be interesting. So before we move on to the next question, I'm going to, I'm going to flip this question on its head for you too, because I think this is another interesting scenario that I sometimes see with athletes. If you have an athlete that goes out and they're just on a day, like they're just, they're on one feeling good. And the first two intervals, they're smoking their, their power numbers. Do you encourage them to continue that? Or do you want them to try and rein that back in? Like, let's say they're in, they're, they're doing threshold workout, go back to that, like four by eight and they're hitting like 1.1 IF, you know, like they're just, they're smashing or, or even higher, you know, like 1.15, like they're definitely above threshold zone. Do you encourage them to continue on that? Or to rein it back in, say, hey, let's, you know, intention here is to hit threshold. Let's not try and exceed expectations here. I mean, if they do well, it there's for the another whole, question. if they do it for the whole length of time, then I'm saying, dude, we got to bump up your FTP, man. Like, there's no way. Like, if you're doing a 115 IF for a 20-minute interval, your FTP is wrong, dude. You faked your last FTP test, <laughs> and we're going to bump it up. Sorry, man. <laughs> That's what I would say. I was going to say, there's another question there, too. Do you stay at that power for every interval, or do you add more intervals if you're feeling good? Mm, I like that one. I would rather add I would more say intervals. I'd rather add more because if they – what was the workout? Four by eight? Yeah. If they do three – at 1.1 and then the fourth one they're at like 0.95 i don't know like did they go too hard and then they didn't get the i don't know well then if i'm confident that their ftp is accurate i would say lengthen the intervals one way or the other or short or shorten the recovery make it just to make it harder sure but i think if you're you know if you're going if you're barely over like threshold i'm not too worried but if you're hitting like vo2 numbers then that's when i'm gonna be like you can't do vo2 for eight minutes right i mean it might it might say 1.2 but there's there's no way i mean yeah and and that's and that's kind of sort of what i was what i was going to get at is like you know sometimes as an athlete you have to you have to like when you're when you're doing your workouts you you do have to be kind of conscious of what's going on too um and us as coaches we can't be there with our athletes most of the time like maybe every now and then we can like go out and do it you know execute a ride with an athlete but for the most part like we're not there like coaching them over their shoulder during each of these workouts um but usually like if i do see that happen i will encourage them like afterwards like hey that was awesome like you know you hit 1.15 if for all four of these and i'm glad that you stuck to that number because that does tell us that your your zones are not set appropriately so if you would have dropped down to like actual like what your computer was telling you was was threshold you might have dropped down into like tempo actually right so it's like especially for like some of those efforts that are you know like something like a tempo or like long threshold sometimes those you're kind of reining it back in though but like shorter threshold vo2 max and above you're it's if for the most part it's kind of max effort for the duration so like if you can do a higher number than than what is prescribed like do it. And then that kind of tells us that we've got some improved fitness that we haven't quite accounted for in your, in your training zones. And maybe it's time to maybe not even, maybe not, you know, reassess FTP, but maybe adjust things a little bit. So that way you have those appropriate target zones. Um, but I would say anything for me, like in my athletes, like if it's 12 minutes or less, we're kind of pushing for like max effort by the end of that interval. Like you should be, 
should be kind of trying to get the most out of yourself for for each of those each of those intervals. All right, cool. Let's move on to this next one here. Um, this one comes from Alexander. Um, it's kind of on like big picture training. So he says, "Hello, I have a question about how training for long term fitness, thinking a few years out from now, would differ from traditional training approaches." to peak for an event that is within a few months. It seems that the way most of us train is to do a few months of base training and then a few months of build and then peaking for a race that is usually no more than six to eight months away from the beginning. Our training may also follow an annual cycle with an off-season period, a training period, and a racing period. I wonder if this approach uh, is focusing on shorter-term success within a few months range and neglecting or forgetting about long-term fitness potential. Would someone have better fitness in the long term, say two to year, two to five plus years from now, if they focused on training for that time period and didn't worry about the races for the current year or even next year? Would it be best to spend a few months just focusing on zone two training while maintaining strength and core work than spending a few months before a race training for higher zones? How would this approach or how how would this approach work? Would someone's fitness be better in the long run if they optimized training this way, assuming they didn't get mentally fatigued or bored? from the constant training and absence of race, racing. Thank you, Alexander. This I like is an hypothetical awesome question, questions like that. Like yeah. <clears throat> questions that are like not your typical question. I like that. Um, mm-hmm. the, only, the only downside to that is like I like to race. I mean, and I like to race fast. And I think most people like to race fast. And so to not race fast for three years because you want to be fast in three years from now isn't as practical as I think he's making it out to be. But hypothetically i still i think what he's saying is like instead of instead of can instead of trying to put like your base season in three months and your build in two months and peak and one and you and that's like a six month thing just elongate all of that so now your base season is a year and your build season is a year or maybe he's saying like your base season is two years and then your build is one year i you know and just basically stretching the whole thing out um and I, my first response to that would be our bodies need change. Like if, if all you did for a whole year was base training, you're going to plateau real quick. Um, cause your bodies need that. Like, uh, I can't think of the right word right now, of course, but variability. yeah, yeah, yeah. Variability is probably a good one. It needs that different. It needs different, different things. Like if you did the same workout over and over and over again for longer than like a month or so, uh, your body's just going to get so adapted to that one system or one workout or whatever. And then it's just going to, the, the, the gains are going to start to taper off. And so that's the whole point about periodization is we're going to go through periods of training and every month we're going to, we're going to like, your body's going to get just comfortable with threshold and then wham, like we're switching it up doing VO2 and then wham, you're going to switch it up. And it's like, right when you get comfortable with a zone or with a, a, a certain like, uh, area of fitness, you change it up because that's the best way to get fit. Um, so that's my first thought is without that change happening periodically in the short term, I think a plateau would happen eventually. You don't think if somebody came to you and they were like, yeah, I don't care about racing, like just make me an aerobic machine in this first like couple years before I decide to like really go in on racing, like in the third year, like you don't think that 
I don't know. Just like I don't know. I mean, doing, we're kind of like you, not even touching VO two, but just like still doing workouts. But it was threshold and below. And yeah, like I mean, this volume, hypothetical like, situation kind of happened in twenty twenty. Uh, take out all racing. So what do you do? And I, I think I made the mistake of doing. Uh, I did a lot of volume, but I didn't do any high intensity for like nine months in twenty twenty. I just did tempo, and I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna do threshold. I'm going to do more threshold. And I think in the long run, it was like, I, I didn't gain as much fitness as I would have had I done some more high intensity because there wasn't any racing. So I'm like, Oh, why do I need to do a high intensity? I can just keep doing these really hard workouts that I think are going to build my fitness more like tempo and threshold. But I think had I gone through a normal or, training cycle and then gone back and you know, that's what I think. Or this was 2020. You had this massive base. And didn't you just have your highest FTP in 2023? So like maybe that set you up for this. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. That's like that's like the whole <laughs> thing about a hypothetical is there's no real way yeah. to no real way to like measure well, it. So, um, so there there is a there is a group of athletes, and I was actually just talking about this the other day with someone. Um there there is a group of athletes that take this approach every four mm. years. Every they do it, their training cycle is four years instead of six months. Yeah, Olympic build <laughs> Olympians. Oh. So they do. No, dude, most Olympians still do other stuff. Like big picture, though, it's every four years. That's their peak. They're, I mean, as professional athletes, like sure, they're still competing in those three years in between. But maybe the big for picture, other athletes. But for cycling, I feel like it's. <clears throat> Uh, I mean, that's because Pitcock that's is still racing on, all the other races. Peking that's because for for like road racing and you know, arguably even like mountain bike racing, like the the Olympics is not is not the the biggest race of right. Of that's the, what I was kind of. Yeah. I, I was thinking yeah. that I wasn't going to say that because I don't know for sure. But that's the vibe I get too. Is that the Olympics isn't as big of a deal in cycling as it is? Yeah, I mean, for world sports. tour racers, the 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 tour is that and it's every year but yeah, right. um you're any of the grand tours but but for for most sports like you know i mean i don't know how many sports there are in the olympics 50 or something or 100 i don't even know um but for most of the athletes every four years like that's their peak and they're they're training like sure they're competing throughout those three years but they're they're waiting to peak and time their peak for for that olympic cycle to come around and and i think they do a lot of this where and it's kind of a it's kind of a hybrid. Like they're not doing two years or three years of just base training, but I think what they're doing is they're they're dropping back down into like this aerobic base training more frequently than you would over a normal like nine or twelve month uh, period. Where like in you know like in traditional periodization, you like hit base training early, and then you're kind of like just touching like maybe doing some maintenance base build ba- base training throughout the year. Um, but with with like the four year cycle, it's like you, you're hitting the base training. Then maybe you do like a four or five week block of like high intensity training to get a bump, and then you're going back into this kind of like aerobic base training mode. Um, um, I but also yeah, I mean, I don't know. Say... Like, I think if I had someone who came to me and they were brand new to the sport and didn't have a ton of aerobic fitness training beforehand, and they were like, "Hey, like I'm just getting into this. I really like riding my bike. In, racing sounds interesting, but I'm not quite ready for that yet." Like give me three years to train and then like, let's do some racing. Then I would say we try and do as much just aerobic base training as possible because they don't have that aerobic fitness to kind of lean back on. But if you're a seasoned athlete, who's got 10, 15, 20 years of aerobic fitness training in your belt, then, you know, like there'd have to be a pretty specific reason why you would want to go this route with your training. And sure, like 
if you're training for the Olympics, like that's one thing, but like those athletes are like world-class athletes and they can get more out of themselves than most people can. That's why they're world-class. So I don't, I don't know that that approach would necessarily benefit everyone. Um, you know, so I think there, there'd have to be a pretty specific reason why you'd want to go that route instead of kind of going through a traditional periodization and part of like period, periodizing every year. It's not that you're going back. Like I know, like after you come out of your off season, it seems like you're back at square one, like your fitness is terrible and like your FTP is low, but like it bounces back super quick. Right. And we all know this from taking our mid season breaks too. Like, it seems like you're going to lose fitness and you might for like a few days, but then like you come back way stronger. And that's what happens year after year, hopefully, is that the next year when you go to do your base training, you're actually, instead of like hitting zone two at 160 watts, now you're hitting zone two at 175 watts. You know, so you're actually, you actually are adding more stimulus to your body um, because you're able to hit higher numbers um, versus kind of just doing that with without that bump in fitness from, from that traditional period cycle. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there have to be a pretty specific reason why you'd want to do it that way. Imagine if somebody said, I'm going to take three years to train and I'm going to, my goal is I'm going to win this race, Leadville. I'm going to, I'm going to win Leadville in 2026 and I'm training from now till then. And then you flat in the first turn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that'd be terrible. Oh, that'd be so terrible. That's why honestly, I mean like, like being an Olympic athlete is probably like every athlete's dream but that's also yeah. like dude that's so always a pressure. fear such a fear too yeah there's so much pressure you know like you you roll an ankle and yeah. in, in warm-ups the week before or mm. something like that it's like oh, dude to train for four years and have that be such a big letdown but that's just part of part of the game yeah i mean that's kind of where i was going was pressure is good but that much pressure is like maybe not so good you know i like racing year in and year out to like because if you have more races, it's like more opportunities to learn, but more opportunities to screw up and more time opportunities to succeed. And man, if you didn't, I don't know if this guy's suggesting not racing at all or just, fo- you know, his focus on training would be different. No, I, th- I think it'd be, I think it sounds like he, you know, in theory would still have some training races throughout the mm-hmm. that training period, um, but maybe just less emphasis on the priority, priority of those races. I would hate to go to a race and just for a whole, if you're doing in the first year theoretically you wouldn't be that race fit you'd be doing base and that would suck like you're not gonna have fun going and getting destroyed at every single race because all you're doing is base i i don't know oh, i could depends on what time of racing you're doing too like if you're going into like a crit crit race with just base training like that that could be yeah that could That's be how I felt two weeks ago yeah <laughs> i was like two weeks ago i asked you guys that question i said man i need some snap and so the last two weeks I've been doing 30 thirties cause I'm like, I don't like to race slow. So I got to do something. To, <laughs> I got to do something in the meantime to, yeah, to get a little quicker. I guess we'll find out. I mean, and that, that honestly would be like an approach that you could use for this too. Like he does mention, you know, like if you just did a couple like workouts to kind of prep for those races, you know, like if you had a race, say, you know, once every two months or something like that, and you just did like two weeks of high intensity training in the weeks leading up to those, like, but then you're yeah. back to base training. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios here, but again, it, it would have to be pretty specific. Like someone would have to assess like, Hey, we need to improve your aerobic capacity before we do anything else, uh, f- for us to like completely avoid a traditional periodization, even if you're not competing. Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> I see what he's trying to say. I guess, I guess I tried to do this every year. I mean, like every year I try to up my volume a little bit more from the year before. Um, 
but I'm still, yeah, I'm still doing all the different phases and stuff. But there is always that, like, I want to be better than I was last year, you know? Like, I want to mm-hmm. build upon last year and keep getting a little bit, either the, the consistency or the volume or whatever it is. I want that to keep building off of your prior. Sure. Yeah, and I think, like, this this approach sort of kind of uh, caught the cycling scene's attention with that guy, Nils Vanderpool, the speed skater. And like mm-hmm. when he released his like training manifesto, I don't know if you guys have read that at all or, or heard much about it, but, um, I mean, he's I heard like, about a, it you from know, Dylan. Yeah. Um, he had, he had a couple, he had a few things that in there that, that were kind of stand out and kind of buck the trend of normal training. One being he trained five days a week, five straight, then two days off. So he basically did nine to five Monday through Friday and then had weekends off, um, and then the second thing was kind of this approach, but you have to remember he's an Olympian and he's a world-class athlete. So like he was training on a four-year cycle and his <coughs> world-class abilities. Um, he also was not training to be fast on the bike. He was using the bike to be fast on in, for speed skating. You know, it's yeah. so like his training wasn't specific to bike racing. It just so happened that a byproduct of all his training was he got pretty strong on the bike. And that's kind of what caught people's attention. It's pretty interesting that, Dylan is so intrigued by that guy and his training methods. And Dylan literally always argues with me about the opposite. He says, I only do what the science says. But then here's this guy that comes out with this training manifesto and it's like some off the wall training methods that people don't, it's like out of the ordinary. And I've heard Dylan talk about it multiple times. Like, man, there might be something there. And I'm like, Dylan, that's like not even what you say you believe. Like you believe in the (laughs) science. Like this is literally what I always say that I believe is like if there's really strong guy like if the top people in our sport are training a certain way and i'm not just saying one guy see i think that's what he maybe under misunderstands i'm not saying like one guy trains this way i'm saying the top 20 dudes in the world train a certain way there's something to be said about that versus the science i don't but that's an argument between me and him or, or, or that is the science like yeah. <laughs> right i mean like there there's a lot of scientific evidence to to back up the way those guys train right yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do a youtube video i'm gonna call dylan out and say science isn't everything buddy (laughs) cool well should we end it there on the on that quote science isn't everything by drew dillman isn't everything (laughs) (laughs) sweet that's pretty good well thanks guys that was good uh catch you next week see ya see ya All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. 
Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite-level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.